episode 55 with Derek Ross. Really enjoy this one. Derek is the president at Slate Music and uh, great conversation. So uh, enjoy this one. Don't forget about our sponsors. Morning Buzz Coffee is a Hamilton-based small batch coffee company. They specialize in fair trade organic coffees. And Morning Buzz uh, Coffee.buzz is the uh, place to check them out. Uh, fantastic coffee. So make sure uh, you order yourself some. They'll send it right to you. Also, Music City Canada uh, is uh, based out of uh, London, Ontario. I buy most of my equipment there. Uh, recording gear, drums, guitars, PA equipment, rentals, everything you can think of. Uh, they do a bang-up job. MusicCityCanada.com. Uh, make sure you check them out. Also, my grandfather's fiddle, one-of-a-kind custom t-shirts. Um, and just go to their website. That's the best thing I can say, my, my grandfather's fiddle.com. And you can see everything they do, uh, and it's uh, wonderful stuff. So make sure you order yourself something there and really check out what they do. All right, sit back and enjoy episode 55 with Derek Ross. <laughs> All right, we're here with Derek Ross, looking suave in his office in Toronto. <laughs> how you doing, Derek? I'm good, Darren. How are you, brother? Excellent. Nice to have you. Good. I know we've talked about this a few times, and pleasure to be on. Yeah, it's uh, we've known each other for quite a long time. Affiliation Absolutely. with Jim Waiter from from years ago, and Absolutely. and uh, always a pleasure uh, seeing you come into a show. And and uh, I always say you always carry a bit of class with you whenever you show up. It's uh, awesome. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, that's no, really good. So you are now the uh, president of Slate Music. How is that uh, going for you? How long have you been doing that for? Well, this will be my 10th year. Has it been so, that long already? Uh, been 10 years, yeah. Uh -oh. So uh -oh. I guess 10 years ago um, <clears throat> with Gary Slate, obviously. Yeah. That's the name. Uh, when Gary sold Standard Radio and, and all that had to do with the radio stations, he and I knew each other uh, through my uh, radio years working radio promotion with DMD and more so with uh, EMI, obviously. Yeah. <clears throat> and when Gary sold Standard, uh, I was at that time working for Felbins, and he was like, I want to do something in the, I want to help Canadian musicians. I want to, you know, and what do you want to do? I don't know. And so it was about, a, it was a couple, probably a couple year conversation going back and forth. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, one day it was like, let's do this. I said, good, send me an offer. Yeah. What do you want to do? <laughs> kind of thing. And cause we were kind of sort of sorting it out. And, uh, it was like December the fourth or fifth or something like that. I got the offer and, uh, I phone up about 10 minutes later and said, yeah, that's pretty good. I'm there. And, uh, we started January the first and basically, you know, we started more or less sort of the whole impetus in the whole, uh, design of the company is really is to support Canadian artists, particularly emerging Canadian artists yeah. and Canadian, Canadian independent labels and, you know, sort of younger companies coming up or other, or, or other uh, artists that are sort of mid-level that need some financing to get to another level. So we first started basically funding projects with, for percentage more than anything else, you know, so yeah. somebody needed $25,000 to finish a record and do a tour, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they had a good team in place. We loved the music, you know, the Canadian, you know, the, a whole bunch of things were transpiring for those artists. And then that we would get involved and then we would fund it. And the, the whole idea was maybe we'd get a return or 
would get some money back end on that stuff. But <clears throat> so that was the, how we started. And then we just progressed and started doing our own. We started a contest called It's Your Shot, which is a sort of a talent development contest that we've been doing now for eight years, I guess now, $100,000 now. We have partners in Universal, Warner Brothers. So we do two things, but all, the whole idea is to really develop Canadian independent artists and, and labels. So, you know, from Last Gang to Hidden Pony uh, to to um, Brian Heatherman's Cerberus Company. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, probably over 50, 60 artists by now from Divine Brown to, jeez, um, I, 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 I think about all the artists, you know, Tom Wilson, uh, Crystal Shawanda, you know, yeah. just... All you know, Sean Jones and Gavin Brown and Bill King and Kayla Diamond and Washboard Union. So you know, all kinds of stuff, and, and that's kind of where we play in the in the sphere of of the, the the Canadian music industry. You know, we have a publishing concern. Obviously, we Jessica Mitchell, of course, yeah. Patricia Conroy is with us, and then of course, most of the artists now we have publishing. So we've progressed down the road over ten years to do a whole bunch of things in the music business do more so to do help you know keep canadian artists making a living making music which is it, pretty awesome yeah. there really yeah. there really isn't anyone else really doing what you're doing is it in your space no yeah. uh, only because we're and i hate to say this we're not profit driven yeah um and with success comes profit obviously uh, you know We've made some money, but I wouldn't say that we've made all our money back in terms of the investment side because we're so involved in so many other things from the Polaris Price and Karis, you know, from the Allen Slate Masterclass with the Junos to the, you know, the Polaris Prize to the Slate Family, you know, uh, Polaris Prize. Or there's just, we're involved in so many other sort of, if you look at all the sort of uh, sponsorships that Slate Music does from TIFF to CCMA, Ontario Country Music Awards were the title sponsor, you know, so with that comes usually a fair amount of money, which ensures that those Canadian, that Canadian country artists are promoted in a different way than just outside of the Canadian Country Music Association, which we sponsor as well and the Junos. And so again, it goes to Gary and the Slate family more so than myself in terms of this is what we want to do. And this is why we're going to do it. And this is why we're doing it. And, you know, we want to give back, unlike just like Massey Hall, the Slate Family Foundation just donated $10 million for the Allen Slate family stage at Massey Hall to help the refurbishment of that. So, again, it continues to make sure that Canadian music and places that perform, uh, that that feature Canadian artists um, stay alive. Yeah. Now more than ever, as you can imagine, it's more important. So, so that's, that's a nice place to be. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. And speaking about now, obviously we're going through all this COVID stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is the main driver now for you guys as far as helping out uh, Canadian artists during this time? Uh, you know, two 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 things. A, a you know, obviously, uh, I don't give probably from an art from a Canadian artist and community music community perspective, Unison Benevolent Fund, which. I'm not sure if you're with that, but that's yeah. sort of a, a fund that supports the Canadian music industry uh, for people in the industry in times of need. So um, I would say that we're almost reaching a million dollars towards that initiative and more so in the last probably year because of it, a half a million dollars has gone to that to ensure that at least some people that are needing money are getting a thousand or two thousand dollars to that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
And then on the talent development side, we're still doing what we do. You know, we closed down for a bit, but our studio's back. So we have a studio here. So artists are now coming back in. They're recording. We're putting out music still um, digitally, you know, DSP-wise, you know, with, whether it's Ryan Langdon, <clears throat> girl and Kayla Diamond. So uh, a band camp called Kadima out of Brantford. So we're, st- we're now getting back into sort of the usual role of just um, putting out music. And then we've, you know, starting our It's Your Shot 9. We're going to launch December the 1st again, starting to find developing talent. We have a new guy named Johnny uh, Shot, uh, Johnny Shea, who's coming out through Black Box. So we've been kind of sort of always, we're always when you're developing, you don't, you're not really worrying about the marketplace as much as where the artists are development wise, songwriting wise, all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So you do all those kind of things without anybody in the public really knowing, cause you're just, you're developing that stuff and to get it ready to come to, to market. And that takes some time. And we're now probably working on six to eight, you know, if I could think about it, Sam Drysdale's another girl named Jalea we're doing with, with the universal uh, Kayla's with Cadence, uh, you know, Ryan Langdon we're doing with Hidden Pony, Kadima we're doing Hidden Pony. So, you know, we're kind it's of doing stuff. all the things we've already kind of did, uh, always done, just COVID hasn't really affected us in any great way just because when you're developing and recording music and developing artists, you're doing that without the public or, you know, yeah. in, in now because of digital servicing and stuff, you, people are still putting in music, radio still playing new songs, people are, companies are still making music because you no longer have to worry about putting the product in the stores. It's the, the stores, the DSP, it's the Spotify, Apple music kind of, you know, marketplace, Amazon kind of marketplace. You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. So <clears throat> what's, uh, as far as the artists go, what have yes. you found has been, uh, the talk amongst most of them of what they're dealing with. Uh, obviously, well, you know, in a way, it's been a good time yeah. for them to spend time yeah. writing and developing because yes. you've got a yeah. lot of time at yeah. downtime at home. But yes, this also bought probably a lot of stress on, you know, yeah. relying I mean, on well, gigs to make money and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, because one of the things that we've always championed here is that we will spend all the money we can possibly spend relatively. The money we spend in your uh, your development is towards your music development. We don't pay your rent. We're not going to make your car payment. So you have to do that yourself. Yeah. Um, but if you want to record and we're going to do a higher promotion guy, we will find all that. We just won't find the private stuff. Uh, you're, so if you don't, if you're not making enough money from gigging stuff, you have the job. Perfect. Have a job because that's the whole, I mean, I went through that. You've understand that you've been with a lot of artists who, who do the same thing. You know, yeah. you paint a house, you keep on doing it until one point in time, you get yourself to a certain level, then you can make money full time Yeah, on the music until then, even when I was in the spoons for God's sakes, I was painting houses. Yeah. People thought I had a lot of money. And I, <laughs> I was painting houses still. You know what I mean? I was still doing things until I got to the point where I made enough money. I didn't have to um, necessarily do, do, um, side jobs. So primarily for the artists, it's, I guess, for more sense is uh, performing to a live audience to get some reaction. You know, you know that better than I, when you're, when you're yeah. recording and you're testing new material, a live audience gives you a great indicator of how, what's working and what's not working. If you get 10 new songs and you play them all, I guarantee you, after you play 10 of them, you'll know which one is the favorite of the audience because they'll tell you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you miss, you miss that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, so, yeah, they're writing and they're recording and, you know, streaming all their performance and stuff. 
I don't think it's, it's not quite the same as being in front of an audience, even if it's 50 people to getting that sort of vibe of what it's all about. And at the same point in time, maybe making a couple hundred bucks, which is not a bad deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's, that to that's me, true. some of that's coming now because the drive-ins and we we're, you know, we sponsor some of the new initiatives that are coming out small town halls out of which is the, the Ottawa blues fest is kind of championing where you can go and play to 50 people, but now it's the event streamed and, you know, we're doing a bunch of that stuff, but I think it's going to be another year before we get to see anybody really getting in front of a significant live audience to get that. So yeah. everybody's kind of transit. You know, I was thinking about the guys who were like, it's funny. I was thinking about Adam Lambert, who's awesome. And he's probably made a hell of a good living, you know, going out and doing the queen stuff and think if he planned, you know, he had 50 shows and he made a plan that the money was coming in and it stopped. Think about how significant that would be. Yeah. So now you think about live nation who is, you know, a $20 billion or $50 billion company live touring and thinking that's all shut down. That's just, it's not just shut. It's like went from 50 billion to zero yeah. in yeah. about two days. And you think, man, how many people does that affect? You know what I mean? And yeah. And, and I, that back. I think as much as bad COVID has been, I think yeah. there's a lot of lessons that have been learned on yes. business practices and yes. things that we all know necessarily weren't run properly, or maybe yes. people were forecasting ahead where they shouldn't yeah. have. And I think yes. that's going to be a big lesson, even for just the independent guy who, like you said, was, you know, even like someone like Adam who was thinking, maybe yes. I have 50 shows coming up. I bought a yes. new $2 million house knowing that yes. there's going to be this big paycheck <laughs> and it just doesn't show up. Yeah. Uh, and that works on every level, whether it's a $2 million house or a $200,000 house. Absolutely. Um, it's uh, a, 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 Absolutely. And I think that's, that'll change everybody's sort of um, planning moving forward. You know what I mean? And, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's it, 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 everyone else, you know, I'm going to re re-engineer or reimagine where I'm at from creatively or an artist wise. What, what, you know, I look at, you know, look at Tom Wilson, for instance, out of Hamilton, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Tom writes books. Now he's painting and his paintings are significant. Now he's making a living painting. So he's taken all his creative thing and he's got like, Hey, I, I'm not just about music. I got to make a living. Well, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm going to write a book. And so, I think you're starting to find people who are creative anyways, finding different ways to take that creative energy and do other things and try to make money in a, maybe in a three or four different ways, opposed to just the music side of it. And I think that was happening anyways, when you think about an artist today and how you promote them, particularly for us, we always are trying to promote them, not just from the music side of it, but from their personal interest side of it. You know, like I look at Ryan Langdon, um, who's a new country artist or Niagara Falls. He kind of likes, um, uh, local beers or, you know, uh, what yeah. microbreweries, you know, so, you know, so he, to get an audience, he, you know, every week he would test a local beer and it would, you know, almost like trash it or love it or trash it. And if he trashed it, well, he'd shoot it with a shotgun or a run over with a horse or, you know, destroy it in a tractor, but yeah. he would get that audience that loves the local beer. And at the same point in time, bring them to his music. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So now you're now now an artist has to sort of show a whole bunch of other interesting things about themselves to get an artist to find their music. Before you found the music first, then the interests came out. Now the interests have to correct collect the people so you can hear about the music. 
And I think that's a real differentiating thing today, more so it was, you know, 10 years ago or five years ago and what's happening from an artist, artist perspective. I mean, who'd ever thought, you know, like if you think about Robert Plant 30 years ago, yeah. emailing all the fans, hey, a new song coming out, listen to that. <laughs> Just what, you didn't even know who the fuck they look like. Yeah. Nowadays, you have to know what you look like, what you wear, how your family is. Do you like, you know, McDonald's or Burger King? You know, all that stuff is important now to a, a new artist getting an audience. Before, that stuff was always kept to the side because, you know, it was all about, you know, music and it hadn't progressed. And now with social media and all that stuff, it's just a whole different ballgame. You know, we spend more time now thinking about content and how to get an audience outside of just the music yeah. for the artist because you have no choice because that's what you got to do. I mean, look what Katy Perry does every day for Christ's sakes. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, because it, it makes marketing is a whole different thing nowadays. It's not, you don't have this particular budget yeah. you spending on, yeah. you know, the typical Absolutely. ways you'd promote a, uh, a product or an artist. It's, I mean, you can get a lot done for next to nothing too. Um, it's, a, it's amazing. And, but you got to be open to let people into your life. Um, you, and some people just aren't. Yeah. And the one we have a girl, we have an artist named Jalea and her interest is cosplay stuff. And so, you know, she's, we've now done a couple records with her, but we didn't really realize that how, how much she was into the cosplay. And if you go online, anybody's this and go, who is Jalea and see, you know, you'll see her in about 50 different kind of cosplay out. So she got, she now is, I think we're over 150,000 uh, Instagram followers. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. She's now, she's now making a living, to be honest with you, promoting products because of her cosplay stuff. To the point where COVID unfortunately stopped that, but she was going to be doing personal appearances at the 10 largest cosplay events around the world. Yeah. Um, and doing all this stuff because what she, if you look at her outfits, they're amazing. Well, we decided, we thought, well, this is what a, what a great avenue to get an audience to hear her music. So our budget was to help her fund making the costumes, not making the records yeah. on top of the records. But let's build, let's give you a budget to make these costumes so you're get, getting an audience. So by the time you get 100,000 Instagram, they're real. And, she got taken down from Instagram because you can only have 2,000 actions a day. Yeah. She was spending 12 hours a day plus personally connecting with everybody. They closed her down because they thought she was a bot. Oh. <laughs> now, that that's, to me is like, that's what? Commitment. Yeah. <laughs> that's, but you know what? It's worked for her. Yeah. And it's gotten to an audience where now you can put out music to an audience that you've already built in a different capacity but if they love you because of what you're doing from that perspective the likelihood that you're going to get 30 percent of those people to love your music because you're connected to them already yeah it's probably going to be likely so you know you've got an audience yeah you know what i mean so though in the old days man we you know when i was at, even at emi we would set a single up for two weeks and go to radio and hopefully it would stick and then the artist and then get a video to much music and heavy rotation next thing it would take off yeah that was a two-week setup. We're now setting stuff up m nine months in advance before you even think about going to radio. And you may never go to radio because that's getting – do you know what I mean? It's the whole the yeah. whole music cycle, whole music setup, marketing is different. So, you know – You're almost building we, your audience before you have a product to sell. Period. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I say, you know, if you can get 10,000 people to give you $10 a year, you got a business. Yeah. 
That's really all you got to have. And if you get to 100,000 people at 10,000, you got a real good business. Yeah. So if you think about thinking about it that way in terms of getting real fans, a real fan has no problem giving you $10 a year if you got them in and say, for $10 a year, I'm going to give you five songs and a t-shirt, whatever it would be, right? 100. You have a business there. And I think that's that's kind of what people are thinking about now, right? Micro, 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 micro audience until the point you get to a certain point, you you, you, you pass that. And usually what passes that is huge hit songs that are, you know, you look at The Weeknd or McKinney and Sean Mendez, you know, Justin Bieber, Jesse Reyes, you know, artists that are, you know, have transcended that. But really, you think about The Weeknd start as a micro audience of just mixtape stuff. And all of a sudden he does, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey and phew, yeah. where you go, you know. So what do you think now of emerging emerging artists? Like well, you've you've been in the industry long yeah. enough and I've been around yeah. quite a while and we've seen yeah. you know certain periods where we find yeah. that music is really also we got a bunch of great artists and it seems to kind of go yeah. a little sometimes in little spurts. So yeah. over the last bunch of years, what do you think now emerging artists are fitting in? Is it is there as many or is it there well, there's, there's way more. And the problem with there's way more is because of, you know, um, the digital space, let's say. In the old days, the record companies were kind of like the middleman that brought product to the marketplace. They controlled it. So if you didn't have a record deal or somebody financing a record, you couldn't get it to radio, couldn't get it online. You know, you couldn't get it discovered because yeah. that costs m- money to do that. So when they said artists and repertoire, you know, there's a guy or a bunch of guys in the country who are, you know, in companies who sort of discover talent and brought it to the marketplace, let's say. Now my 16 year old daughter who doesn't know how to play a piano can do that. Sing a cover song, maybe post it online, start thinking that she's an artist and take away from somebody who maybe is a, I don't mean that take away, but, you have more people filling up the the space yeah. that maybe shouldn't be there. Does that make sense? Do you, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, it's like having Direct TV or some satellite TV. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you've got all these other channels fighting yeah. against really ten that you're going to really watch. Yeah. The interesting thing is now the public really does get to have a say, and what's good and what's bad. Twenty years ago, the public only got to say what's good and bad when they heard it on the radio. Yeah. 25 years ago. And there's a whole bunch of steps that went before that got delivered to radio. And there's a, there's a company that got involved, made the investment, went to the studio, picked the song, got the promotion mark team, went to the radio station, worked the record, got it added, started getting played. And then they went tour and all those kind of things. I mean, Post Malone put a song up in one day, had 300, 3 million, you know, likes the next thing you got a deal. Yeah. That's very few and far between. That might not have happened 25 years ago. A, it probably didn't happen 25 years ago. No. It would have taken a long time to get to that that point. It could have probably taken you nine months to get to that point if you're if you think about how Patsy Cline got discovered and yeah. went to all those stations and all of a sudden. But you know that to me, you have we do a contest. We, listen, we do a contest. It's your shot. We get over a thousand applications a year, music applications from. Um, multifolds of Canadian artists. And, and I'd say that 25% of it's really great. 75% of it's not that great. And it, only because it hasn't been developed properly because everybody's getting in because technologies allow people to record, do things and uh, without sort of 
you know, I say 20 years ago, you had somebody who was experienced in how to develop something properly. We try to develop things properly. We're not doing it all the, right all the time. Yeah. But we have people here who have experienced kind of going through that process where, look, we're not going to put this thing out until we think it's really good. Well, a lot of people put stuff out because no one else has told them it's bad or otherwise. They just put it out because they can just record it in their house, do a video and post it online all of a sudden, you know, and pay $400 to an aggregator to put it on Apple Music and our DSP and, you know, yeah, and think they've got something where 95% of everything on Apple Music is sold one copy or less. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's true. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, but there's something that in your mind that thinks once, once you have your song on iTunes or on those yeah. platforms that you've made it. Yeah. You know, there's something about getting it there. It feels like yeah. you've, you've, there, there's done somebody something. you've paid $500 to aggregate it for you because they can't do it out because they have to group it in 25 other people gave you 500 bucks in order for that company to have a presence with somebody at Apple Music because you can't deal with Apple Music or Spotify unless you have your certain size yeah. or certain amount of releases in order to do that kind of stuff. People don't understand how that is because you think about it. I think Spotify posts, you know, get somewhere around the neighborhood of over 25,000 songs a day worldwide on Spotify. Yeah. And now I don't know about you, but I only know about 10 that are really good right now yeah. that are in my head yeah. if I'm thinking about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you think, wow, that's the, that's the, what's technology is allowed to happen in the music space. That's not a bad thing. It's just hard. To, it's just hard to sort of, um, weave through it all and and find something that connects because it takes you so long to find it because there's so much of it. Yeah. In the old days, it was already filtered before you got to hear it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does totally. that make any sense? Oh, yeah. The cool thing yeah. now is, and I've mentioned it a bunch of times on the podcast, but, yeah. um, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, if you're driving around and the radio yeah. was on, song came on, at least I did, and you probably yeah. did too. Yeah. You know, oh, there's a Canadian song. It was just, I'm not sure if it was a level of production or whatever it was, but you could always yeah. tell a Canadian yeah. production over an American yeah. production or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But nowadays, yeah. you certainly don't. I mean, that has all come up, you yeah. know, which is really cool. I think, you yeah. know, a lot of the artists well, now yeah. I listen to, and I was like, oh, who's that? And it's like, wow, that sounds amazing. I mean, it's the, the stuff that's coming out nowadays is, top notch well you think about you know if you think about looking at the top 10 at the end of the year chart on billboard let's say because that's the one we're looking at now is but you will usually find three or four canadians on that top 10 yeah break uh, you know sean mendez obviously uh it could be celine dion and justin bieber and jesse reyes coming up and Alyssa cara and nickelback and you know you just you know, start going through and go like Michael Bublé and think, holy shit. Well, that's, that started happening because of CanCon, really. Mm -hmm. If you think about 30, 40 years ago, uh, um, <clears throat> only because um, radio didn't have, radio started playing Canadian music because they got legislated to do that. And in order to do that, of course, it's going to start to be a bit more uh, watered down. But as it progressed, because better studios were being built because people were playing Canadian music, Radio had to play it. Yeah. So you had to play it. They wanted it to be compare, compatible. So it had to have the recording blah, and producers. And so what happened was the CanCon really didn't only just support Canadian artists. It, in, it, it supported the Canadian 
infrastructure to make sure that the Canadian productions were going to be world class. Yeah. To the point now that Americans are now coming in and just picking up the Canadians, you know, like Sean and Justin and Drake, and they're doing direct deals and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that being said, yeah, I, I hear you. Because, you know, it's like, listen, I worked radio for a long time, yeah, as you know. And when I would sometimes, there radio was had to play. They had to play thirty five percent Canadian. So I would get a I I would get an ad at a radio station. The guy go, you know, Derek, you get the ad for this Canadian artist because you're lucky. You actually have the best of the worst. We hate them all. We got to play it. We're gonna play this. Yeah. Now that's changed now, obviously. But I'm talking fifteen years ago. Yeah. That was that was a reality. You know. We don't, we don't really want to play it, but we have to because we're legislated. Yeah. Now you can fill your CanCon with American or worldwide stars. You can, And that's another problem that we're having with developing Canadian talent. That's why you now have these emerging artist programs on radio because you can fill your 35% CanCon with Canadian worldwide stars. Yeah. You can play a Nickelback, a Drake, Justin Bieber, Alyssa Cara, you know, Jesse Reyes – they all are CanCon records and they get slotted in the Canadian 30. They get slotted into a Canadian section on the radio station, yeah. not an international section. Yeah. So Justin Bieber takes a spot from maybe where an emerging artist artist would have originally gotten yeah. because they were trying to, had to fill the CanCon quotient. Well, now you fill CanCon with worldwide Canadian artists that are stars around the world. Yeah. which then makes it hard to get a developing artist into that spot. Sorry, man, I can't play your new artist because I got a new Justin Bieber single this week and he's Canadian. Yeah. Good and bad from that. Right. So now yep. you have these now chum and, you know, new cap, they all have this emerging artist category now where they'll take one record a month and the plate across the whole chain for the month. And if it sticks great, if it doesn't stick, it's gone. So, it gives the artist a false sense of sort of hope sometimes because all of a sudden you've got 18 stations playing your song for four weeks and it gets up to number 38 on the chart. And then once the month's over, the song's gone, a new one's in its place. Yeah. Yeah, so, I see that. It's always a good and a bad of all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, it's, it's a great thing they're doing it and they've had to do it because we've our artists have progressed so much in the world that – they're now taking part. They're now slotted in the Canadian category. They're not treated because they're Canadian. They get they go in the Canadian playlist, which allows the radio station to play another Harry Styles song in the international category. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Sixty five percent international, thirty five percent CanCon on the playlist. You Justin almost wonder Bieber. that that CanCon should be revamped to yeah to look around. I mean, if you're if you're signed to American label. Um, you know, maybe we need more check boxes to make that that section work. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure there's always a way to think about it. Yeah, I know it's it's is it's kind of funny because we've progressed so much, we've got to change that because originally it was started so we wouldn't, so we could we could hope that would happen. Now it's happening, so now we're having to play the back end back end game in terms of how do you get an artist. I mean, that's what we fight with all the time. We know we've got an artist that's good enough, but we can't get in. We can't. We just had this. We just had a conversation with an artist today that we know is the song's great. The artist is really developing well. We have a problem because now what's happening now is artists never stop recording, never stop putting music out. Yeah. Once you got a hit, you're always putting music out. Now, the old days, you'd put a record out. And next thing you know, okay, we're going away for nine months to record another record. That does not happen. Mm -mm. 
you're always filling the slot. So you, the artists that are, once you make it, you're never going away to give somebody else in there. You're always trying to keep your spot. Does that make, you know what I mean? Oh, oh, yeah. you know, Especially now with everyone oh. having a bunch of time, it's, you know, there's got to be an abundance oh. of stuff. I mean, Huge yeah. amount. And if you look at Canadian country music, particularly, you think about that for a second. I mean, there's never, you know, we've got, you know, the Washboard Union, Gene Brody, Tim Hicks, you know, Tennille and, uh, you know, the Rec Laws and blah, blah. And and James Barker Band, they're never gone away. Yeah. There's never like, oh, there's not a new single coming from them. The minute one song is down the chart, you're filling that hole. You're not letting your spot go. So trying to get a new artist to fill that spot is real tough. 10, 15 years ago, there's lots of that opportunity. It's tough now. Yeah. And that's kind of what we, that's why you have to spend so much time finding an audience. So when you go to radio and say, Hey, I got 2 million streams and we got 50,000 Instagram followers. We got an audience. You should be able to play this. You're actually having to spend more time getting an artist to an audience and getting streams up so that radio will pay attention Yeah, because there's, there's just so inundated with all these stars or artists that are successful now never going away there's no breath it's boom every six weeks you know here's a new song here's a new cover here's a new because once you go away that audience is going to go find somebody else so you you you, you just can't let them go yeah it's, it's kind of like a bad date yeah. it's, <laughs> and we've all had those can't get rid of that bad date it's all- <laughs> actually let's go back uh and talk about your history a little bit uh of course, you know, you mentioned uh, you played in the Spoons. and But yes. let's go back before that. Where where did actually did you grow up? I grew up, uh, well, two, I guess for better sense, since grade 10 on, I grew up in Burlington. Before that, I was more in Chatham, you know, yeah. from grade 10, Chatham, Ontario. I lived there twice in my life. But primarily from grade 10 on, I more or less grew up in Burlington. Yeah. So yeah. Mo- I would say most of my, you know, 13 plus years were spent in Burlington. So I, I guess, you know, those influential years, I grew up in Burlington. And when did you start playing drums? Early. Um, I was, well, I got my first real drum set when I was in grade six. So I might have been, I don't know, is that 10, 11 years yeah, old? Somewhere in there, right? yeah. But I never played in bands and stuff. I mean, the Spoons was the only band I ever played in. Yeah, I, I read that and it was like, I didn't realize that. Yeah. that that's pretty cool, though. That. Yeah, yeah. I remember going, I remember <laughs> I played a... Well, I didn't play in a band. I went to one guy's house, took my drum set. My dad took me there and they were playing this kind of cover rock and roll stuff. They wanted to go, we're going to go on the road in 40, 40 weeks a year and play all this top 40 stuff. And I was like, shit, man, I'm, I'm in grade 11. I can't yeah. kind of do that. My dad came, I took the drums home and then um, I never played in a band. Then, you know, but I knew Gordon Sandy from high school. Yeah. And a guy named Brett Wickens was our, and so I was the guy who played drums in the sort of the school, uh, you know, choir band, you yeah. know, horn and the whole shebang. <laughs> I did that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to do. Yeah. And, uh, and I wasn't very good at reading music and all that shit. I just, but I was the only guy that could do it. So I just kind of got away with it. Um, and then Gord, Sandy phoned me up. Hey, we started this band and Gord always played in bands and they always did the whole bunch of stuff there. You know, he was the guy, everybody knew he was the musician of school and had bands and whatever happened, they phoned me up and say, Hey, you want to come and play drums and try drums? Like, fuck yeah. So I, I had a, like a shitty drum set, but I, so I had to go before I went to the first rehearsal or I wasn't even the tryout. I don't know what it was. 
I had to go buy real hi-hat cymbals because that was really <laughs> shit, right? <laughs> so well, I'd go and I'd take my little drum set and the brand new hi-hats and Brett, sir, I started playing and that it never, that was it. It just kind of just went from there and then Brett went and go, Rob played and about a year and a half later, not even that, we did Nova Heart. That took off and then there you go. You're now in a band that's making records and you're off to the races. And during that time, I learned my interest is always the business side of it. I wasn't yeah. really a true musician, to be honest with you. I mean, <clears throat> there's a lot of seven-year-olds that are better drummers than I am, <laughs> but I actually got lucky. You know what I mean? <laughs> the timing or whatever it would be, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, but a great experience. And I've, I've never not been out of the music business ever since. And that's 40 years ago, you know? So, you know, I'm still great friends with them and uh, you know, I got lucky, you know, I always loved music and I made a, I've made a living at music. Who had ever thought it was going to be starting, you know, in a little practice hall in Burlington, Ontario, yeah. you know, playing with spiders and a little, you know, going to buy, who ever thought I'd going to buy a new set of hi-hat symbols would have 40 years later. See, here I am talking right to you about the, the record <laughs> business and, <clears throat> and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, luck, man. It's just, yeah. a lot of it is right. I mean, it's being it, it at the is. right place and knowing yeah. the right people. and Yeah. And, you know, uh, my father taught me something really early because um, I really am a salesman at heart, right? That's why I do promo and I started doing radio. But I always had a knack. Of, well, I think people say, well, you know, what did you do? And I said, well, I could, when I was a kid, I used to listen to the radio underneath my pillow. And I always knew what the I, – I kind of always figure out what a hit song was. Like, you know, I listen to music like, does that turn me on? Does that three minutes of music? Do something for me. Yeah. I remember that song, Popcorn. Yeah, that's what I might have been seven or eight years old, but I remember thinking, my God, that song, whatever it is, makes me just fucking happier. And and then and and so I've taken that throughout my whole career. And when I was at EMI picking, you know, whether it's Chaos, when I remember hers, Crab Bucket, and like my job as a head of promotion was picking singles yeah. that radio would play. And I got, I was okay at it. I had a business called DMD Entertainment. I did that for independence. I chose a lot of singles that became hits because I always listen to music like I'm an eight-year-old with the transistor radio underneath my pillow. Does it do something for me? Does that guy's voice do something? Where's the hook, you know? And as you know, the hook can be two beats yeah. in a song if it's the right two beats, not yeah. three times on your ceiling if you, you know, there's the hook. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes it can be so simple. Um, it, it, and it usually is, Yeah. Um, you know, so to your, to answer your question about, you know, so that's, you know, I, I, that's never left me when I was in spoons and working, you know, DMD and EMI and all the things I've done in the music business. It's always about the music first. And are you, are you so, are you working with music or musicians that are going to be successful? So if they are, that usually falls back on you. You're a little bit more, you're a little bit successful because of you've been part of it to yeah. some extent. Right. So when you when you were younger in high school, yeah. yes. before you you know the spoons thing happened, yes. was in your back of your mind music, which you thought you were going to do. Oh, some I was going to be a butcher. Or <laughs> my family comes from the meat the meat business. My grandfather owned. It's a similar butcher. business, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you're serving a customer. Yeah. You're giving them something they want. This it was a T bone or a hit single, but. When I was in high school, I worked like 30, 40 hours a week in the meat department at the Dominion store. My grand, my, all my uncles were butchers. My father was the only one of his family that wasn't a butcher, wow. but he was a salesman. So I, I, um, 
I um, inherit a bit of that salesmanship, you know, energy, talking to people, love people. It's all this business is all about relationships, right? You know, you and I have a relationship for 30, 25 years. It's not a, it's a good relationship, but you and I go and have to talk for 20 years. You call me, Hey, what? of course, that's what it's all about. Right. Yeah. So, um, I just got lucky cause I was, I went to Sheridan, took, you know, marketing and stuff, but the reason why I didn't come a butcher is my uncle said to me one day, do you want to fucking work in a freezer your whole life? Mm, yeah, you're right. I don't know. Yeah. And so I moved on and went to that. And then luckily I got Gordon Sandy called me in my last year of high school and I ended up doing all that kind of stuff. And, you know, really, um, it's, I never really think about it. it just kind of transitions, you know, I just got transitioned into, went to school with, I was going to be a salesman, but then I just realized I could be a salesman in music. And that was promotion, working yeah. records, the radio. And that turned into signing bands and managing the Sky Diggers. And, you know, my first band I ever signed was the Sky Diggers. And I managed them for a bunch of years. And then, of course, Jim Witter, who's today is still a good friend of mine, still one of the, you know, best singers in the world, if you know what I mean, natural singers, yep. great talent. I mean, just, you know, talk about entertainer. How can you, you know what I mean? You, the best. I, I don't have to tell you that. You get to spend a lot of time with him. That guy is just a monster. And it's funny, I just said to everybody in the office today, like, I think Jim's made all his kids have to sing for their dinner because they're all so goddamn talented. Yeah, they are. They can play things. They can play all the instruments. They can sing. They all seem to have great personalities like Jim has. So I said, there's only one way that he made them do all that. He, they must have had to do it to eat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite and they, possibly. And like, Unless you're really good at it, you're not getting any hot dogs tomorrow, kid. Uh, you know, because this Rosalind, beautiful. I mean, like, you yeah, know what I mean? Great you, I'm not telling you something you don't already yeah. know, but, um, and we haven't had this discussion, but I think about natural talent and think about how I came across Jim Witter, which is so bizarre because he was in Rob Pruce's wedding party. Oh, wow. Before I met him. Yeah. Before I knew Jim was a singer. Wow. And he, but he'd won the CFMY contest. But then a buddy of mine, Mike Roth at Sony said, I just signed this new songwriter, singer, his name's Jim Witter. I went, Jim Witter from Hamilton. Yeah. Well, shit, I was just in a wedding party with him like three months ago. You got something? He goes, yeah. He sent me over the two tracks at Johnny Douglas. I signed him the next day and went to Nashville and, you know, spent, you know, five years with Jim. That's Small awesome. world, eh? I know. Only because they're talented, right? Guy yeah. can sing like them. Jesus well, Christ. Wait till you hear the song. Uh, Jim and I are uh, finishing up a love song it. now. And, I love uh, it. With Steve Warner. And uh, oh, are you really? Yeah. He's still coming with Steve. Yeah. So we just, awesome. uh, I just finished mixing. It's being mastered now. So oh, I'd love to hear that. It is awesome. It's like one, I bet. Of the, one of the best things I've heard from Jim in a long time. Awesome. And, yeah. and, and I didn't realize he was still pals with Steve because he was, yeah. he got to be friendly with Steve when I was, you know, managing him and that kind of stuff, obviously. Right. So, wow. Yeah. That's and, amazing. Yeah. There Steve's you go. Relationships great. And stuff, right? Yeah. They're, they're both, I find both Steve and Jim, they're like, they, they could be brothers. They're, oh, yeah. they're made they're from the same cloth. Yeah. Big, big time. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think Jim has that a lot with a lot of people too. It's hard not to like Jim Winter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. There's not many bad things you can say about that guy. He's just one of those kind of guys, you know, and I really, you know, it, it, things are in, I've had Roslyn, his daughter, do the photo shoot for Ryan Langdon. Oh, yeah. That's great. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, just small world. And then you find out she can really sing too. And you're like, my God, this family's got such creative talents. Blows you away. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Well, there you go. So, but, uh, from, yes. from spoons on, 
obviously yeah. you you went to Sheridan and then yes. um you you kind well, of and, and, went through a lot yeah, of stuff then, for a while. Well yeah, my my introduction into the record business was um I got a, I was I wanted to get a job in the record business. I wanted to be a promo guy or something like that. So when I left the Spoons uh, and I wasn't I didn't leave on my own accord. I was helped. They they <laughs> best as I say the best decision I never had to make for myself. I got kind of helped out because I wasn't really into it anymore, yeah. and I knew the timing was up. But needless to say, so I started making these like a seven inch, out all, all our paper uh, resumes. Uh, so I made a seven inch, then I made a twelve inch, then I made a CD. You know, inside the CD was my resume on one side, my picture on the other, yeah. sleeve, blah blah blah. I got a phone call from a guy named Bob Ansel. You want to go to Calgary and be a promo rep? No, I don't want it. Why would I want to go to Calgary to come back to Toronto? That was my thinking, right? So then I got a call the next day from uh, a guy named Ole Cornelson, who was the head of promotion at EMI, or Capital those times. And said, look, there's this little company called Enigma Records mm-hmm. that we just picked up. They're looking for a general manager and an extra employee to start Enigma Records. So it's like, well, I'll be the second guy. Well, I said, fuck it. I'll just apply for the first guy. I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah. Bill Hine, a buddy, Bill Hine, who became my you know mentor and a friend of mine for many years, still um, came up. I was working at my buddy's plumbing mark store. I met him two weeks later. I'm in LA, living there for three weeks. I'm in the record business now. And the first first two videos I was in and I, that I was involved with was the we, on Saturday we taught we shot "To Hell the Devil" by Striper at the A and M studio lots of La Brea, which I was that when I was in the Spoons because we were signed to A and M. That's where I met, you know, staying in all those guys. And then the second day we shot Talk Dirty to Me by Poison on the Sunday, which I'm in the back end of that video. And that was my introduction to the record business in the record business side of it. Came back. They gave me $15,000 in a fax machine and said, okay, you're now running Enigma Canada. We're going to give you a bunch of product away go. And that's how I learned how to do the record business. And then I progressed through that to do DMD and, all the things that I've done and worked. And, and ironically, 12 years later, I'm now the vice president of promotion and media at Capital that Oli was, you know, 12 years before me. Yeah. Scary, eh? So were you, yeah. you must have been crapping your pants that first little while. Well, yeah, I did. What? Yeah, it's funny. I, you know, I, or you, just, you know, sometimes it's better to be naive. Yeah. <laughs> you just kind of go in and go, yeah, here we go. You know, and, and that's how I learned how to do radio promo. We had hired Linda Daw. She was doing an English promo at that time, and they'd hired her as an independent. And she's kind of, I don't know if she's still doing it anymore, but she was doing it at that time. And so I went to see their office, and they were just phoning people up. Hey, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, shit, I can do that. So I phoned up. My first phone call, I tell you, was her name was Allison Brock, and she ran. She was a programmer at Kick FM in Calgary. And I phoned her up and said, hey, Allison, uh, my name's Derek Ross. You know, I'm doing stuff. And I got this new song called Hell the Devil by Striper. She goes, oh, we're already playing it. I was like, fuck, this job's really easy. Great. Boom. Next call, <laughs> Andy Frost at Q107. Same thing happened. Yeah, we're already playing it. Hey, Linda, I don't need you anymore. I'm going to start doing radio promo. And then I started doing radio promo. And, that's, and I've been doing, I did that for almost 30 years, one in some form or capacity, yeah. working radio. And then you, you know, work in the record business. I started my own label, FRE. And, but, you know, I was always doing radio or connecting people and stuff. And, and that's led me to work with Slate because that's how I met Gary. And yeah. because I was a manager, but I've done all kinds, I've done every facet of the business. So if you're, if you've done all that stuff, your connections are pretty good. So yeah. 
you know, I can still make some phone calls to some people in the business and, and at least they'll take my phone call. Yeah. They may not give me what I'm looking for, but at least they'll take yeah. my phone call. And that's what this business is really all about, right? Yeah, exactly. Or at least that's what it was about. And I think it still is. Every business is all about people and relationships, you know? So, you know, that's really the content. That's, that's really the sort of the lifespan of, of my career is based, starting with radio and being connected to the music and, Will you play this new song and taking a band that no one knows and then six months from now it's the number one song and it's gone you know triple platinum or something like that and you think just all like you know i funny story i'll keep it real quick if yeah. you got to go was it no remember the song called the hamster dance it's cotton eye joe yeah, 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 yeah. so this is the nutshell of the radio this this is the nutshell of my job a very good friend of mine who's now programming all the west for Bellmead, his name is james stewart at that time, he was the music director for 630 Chet in Edmonton. And when I used to travel, I got to know, I was pretty good friends. So when I traveled, I didn't stay at hotels. I usually stayed at a programmer's house. Yeah. I'd say, look, at, you got a wife and a family. Why don't I come over? I'll stay. I'll bring dinner and wine. You can stay at home. I'd like to meet your family and stuff, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of how I sort of like to do things. <clears throat> so I was at James's house and he had a young daughter named Alexa. She might have been four. And I had a daughter named Alexa. And she was four. And I was working for Koch. There was a Koch record that time, Dominic Zarka. And um, <clears throat> and I heard this Cotton Eye Joe. I knew it was a smash, but I had to get somebody to take it, to take a chance on it because it was kind of a, a fad song. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and so James and I were sitting there having dinner and stuff. And his daughter said, James, I got this song. I know you're not going to think it's crazy, but it, it's, it's Cotton Eye Joe. It's called The Hamster Dance. I think it's a smash. He says, can I play it for you? He says, yeah. I play it. I put it on. In 30 seconds, his four-year-old daughter is going crazy. And James goes, that's a smash. I'll have that in heavy rotation tomorrow. That song sold 300,000 records, and it started with that one little dinner thing. That is really the radio promotion business. And that made, and that's, I think it sold 300,000 singles. That's wow. one song. I did that with, you know, Eiffel 65, I'm Blue, another one, I'm Blue, but shit like that. You just, again, eight-year-old with a transistor. Yeah. That song is going to connect with a lot of people because I'm just a regular person like you and I would listen and go like, well, that's a smash. I just got to get to the guys who could actually make it that way. Yeah. I could phone a guy up and say, this is a smash. You should hear it. If you do hear it and play it, it's your audience is going to be crazy for it. And that's exactly how you start careers. So I'm just kind of still trying to do the same thing in a different way. It's got to be interesting knowing that you're the guy that really made a song happen. Um, obviously, you have to have a great song. You have to have a great artist, yeah. great band, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. But lots of times without someone like you, a yeah. song wouldn't get off the ground. So it's kind of a real behind the scenes kind of yeah. I position. Think about, well, yeah. Like you think about Crab Bucket Chaos. I heard that song, Smash. I could tell you a story, but, you know, it's like, I was really upset because Chaos was giving me a hard time and it's like I really didn't want to like him. So Craig Mannix, who was that time was at EMI, he's now at Sony, he said, hey, doctor, come down to the office. I got something I want you to play you. So I, go, I run down. He, I want to play this new song. So I go down there and he plays me Crab Bucket. And I went, fuck, that's a smash, man. That's going to be huge. He goes, I said, who is it? He goes, it's Chaos. I went, fuck. Oh, God, because he, he gave me a hard time the day before about something. I won't go into it. But Kevin and I are very good friends today and, and always have been good friends. But hearing that song and then thinking about that ran the single of the year, 
same with Cardinal, same thing I did with Jane, Dangerous with Cardi. Yeah. Same thing, you know, and photograph with Nickelback. And that, that came because the Nickel photograph came after Silver Side Up, but same idea. You know, here I heard photograph for the first time when his manager came in and played his photograph. And I was like, dude, come on. That is going to be a smash. And then you get to get your team, set it up, work it, and, and way it goes, you know. Yeah. It was never number one rock record. And, and the band used, I remember, it was number one in all formats except for rock. And I remember Chad going, you know, the guys are, you know, this is the Junos. The guys are upset, man. You're not, we're, we're number one everywhere else, but we're number, one, number two at rock. I said, if you can get 700 more spins than Foo Fighters right now, you'll be number one. But unfortunately, Chad, you're, you, and Chad knew this, you're a Canadian. You're in the CanCon section. Yeah. Foo Fighters are the international. They get 20 more spins a week on all those stations. You'll never get to number one because you're Canadian. And they're going to keep you Canadian because they'll play another international record instead yeah. and make their station sound what they would consider better because they're playing more international because you're still getting enough spins. You're just getting like 15 spins less a week over, you know, 60 hours is like a spin every five hours. Don't even notice the difference. Right. Yeah. So yeah, those are always, you know, you think about anything and, and DMD, which is a company I started four years ago, is still going. They're still doing exactly the same thing, working just, you know, picking hits, working, you know, Marshmallow and The weekend and all that stuff, still doing exactly the same thing. A lot of fun. Yeah. You selling shoes, I used to always say, but selling shoes is not bad, just a little bit better. No kidding. Or better than chopping meat. Yeah. Well, yeah, better chopping meat. <laughs> exactly. So- Pitching to radio nowadays, yes. um, it's got to be a different thing. Um, it is. I mean, it, it is. It's mm -hmm. it's somewhat the same, but you have to do a lot more setup. Yeah, there have you have to have more information. I think it's hard to go with a new artist with a new song. You have to have a, you have to have some. It's a catch twenty two. Sometimes like streaming won't go unless you've got airplay, and you can't get airplay unless you got streaming. So you're always trying to find that balance in the yeah. story, right? So. You got to have a story as or an audience. Like I look at Jesse Reyes and uh, what was the first song that DMD worked? And uh, I mean, it had like 20 million streams before anybody would play it. And then once it got on the air, it took off. And of course, her career is you know you know where her career is at. Yeah. Um, so it's a balance. But nowadays, you're spending a lot more time setting. You have to have a lot more. You just can't go and like we used to set up a song for two weeks. Got a new artist. Two weeks. Guys, go and play everybody at your station. We're going to go with this thing in two weeks. We're going for ads. Let's see how we do and then build the song up. Now it's like we're going to put this thing on DSPs for a while. We're going to set up an audience. We're going to build a you know a social you know Twitter, Instagram videos, content, blah 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 blah. And then we go to radio. And say, look at this artist already has a, a, a already has a fan base. So they're not going to be unfamiliar to your audience yeah. because now radio, because of the competition of DSPs and, and of course, TV and, you know, and all the things that are happening, gaming and stuff. When I, you know, 25 years ago, radio was radio. I mean, that was really the, in, that, you didn't have uh, fortress and all that shit and Sony yeah. and Xbox and stuff. It was music and movies, music and movies are <laughs> compete with, 25 other things nowadays yeah. for a uh, 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 consumer's attention in the entertainment sphere. So you got to do a lot more stuff in order for an audience to really grasp onto an entertainer and want to be, you know, part of their, make that artist part of your life. Do you yeah. know what I mean? That's yeah. kind of how you, right? And it really, it's all about attention, isn't it? I mean, yes. same thing that you're fighting against. 
attention to on Facebook and Instagram yes. and Twitter and all that stuff, it's yes. all grabbing your attention. And it's where before you'd, you know, try to get your song on the radio and that was your avenue. Now you're, like you say, you're up against YouTube stars yeah. and Instagram yeah. stars and every, yeah. every time you, and every, you got these big companies with these big algorithms trying to, you know, grab your attention even more. Um, yeah. Watching I mean, that. If you've seen that social dilemma thing on Netflix. Yes. Oh, yes. It's just like, it changes. Well, the you, way you you, think. I mean, my wife works for Apple. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes she'll take my phone and go, Jesus, you're spending a whole lot of time on Instagram and Facebook during your day, aren't you? Because you can track it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I'm not listening to radio or watching movies. I'm watching what people are doing or what CNN is doing or what's going on in the world on this little device here that we didn't have 25 years ago. We had a <laughs> We had our little transistor radio that gave us everything we wanted. And then we had the TV was black and white and shitty TV shows. And maybe you'd go to a movie. Yeah. This machine does everything. You know, once they just, once it discovers how you can have sex with it, the game's over. It's not not far away. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's Jane Fonda. Was it Barbara Wawa? What's that? What's that? What's that? uh, What's that? uh, What's that movie? Uh, um, yeah. Well, yeah. Roger Vadim is her husband yeah. at that time. You know, uh, the org- you know, whatever it was, you get the orgasmatron or something. You yeah. know, I was like, once this discovers that, game over. Yeah. No one's ever <laughs> going to leave the house. They're going to be hoping for COVID. <laughs> Hello. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. You know, it just, it's just, uh, it's, it's, I, I think about young people today and think, wow the choices, but then, you know, not only that, it's just then how do you get somebody's attention when there's so much at play to get your attention? It's confusing. Yeah. yeah. Confusing to me. I'm 60 years old. So, you know, you, you see somebody who's 20 years old and spent their whole life with this in their hands. It's a, it's a mind blowing experience to see what they do with this compared to what I could do with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, I know. I grew up with it. So it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, geez, you know, computers, what the hell? I mean, I took typing class, you know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't want to, and I'm glad I did. So let's wrap up in a couple more questions, quick questions. Sure. Uh, so a new artist nowadays, um, yeah. what's the best advice? I hate this type of question, but for someone who really, you know, struggling to get noticed, yeah. Yeah. know they're talented, yeah. Um, how do they reach out and how do they get noticed? Well, you know, it's back to what was, you know, first and foremost, make sure whatever you put out is great. I know it's kind of hard to make that uh, association when you're doing it yourself. Cause when you're usually making music yourself by yourself or with small group, everything you do, you think is really good. Yeah. Or your parents or your friends are going to tell yeah, you yeah, it's like, great. And and I used to make CDs up for people in the old days and they'd say, I'm going to make, I need 2,000 CDs. I'd say, why? Well, we're going to sell 2,000. I say, yeah, okay. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. Then I would give, I would make the 2,000. I would give them a duster. You know, the little duster. What's that for? Because after you sell the first 25 to your family, you got 1,975 to sell and you'll never sell without marketing and you'll go down to your basement and dust it off because it's really not that good. Why don't you spend... The rest of the money, uh, take a thousand CDs or the one, take make five hundred. Take the other money we're going to make the fifteen hundred with, and make your music better. 
produce it better, think about what it is you're doing, trying to find that audience. So I think nowadays, you know, you have to make sure your song is really good and you how think about how you differentiate yourself from everybody else yeah. and put yourself up against what's on the radio or what you think is really good. And sometimes people just don't do that because they're, you know, because like anybody else, you know, it's kind of like a hockey player. I'm a really great hockey player because I've always been really good in my area. But then when you go to a junior B team or a junior A team, you find out there's 50 other guys trying for your spot and you realize, holy shit, I'm not that very, I'm not that good. I need to get better. So you'd have to sort of analyze where you are in the scheme of things and what you're really doing and how, what makes you differentiate yourself from anybody else and how do you get an audience and you can start it small mm-hmm. but you have to really make sure that this stuff is really good and it doesn't have to be like fully produced but the songs have to resonate and have meaning you know what i mean it just and you'll know that it's hard to know that until you do more of it and you got to test it to people you trust yeah. or try to find somebody who may have some experience in that to sort of give you some guidance i know it's hard but it's a process and <clears throat> You know, really be conscious of what you're up against in terms of, you know, I said, look, when you get to the real world of the real record business, you have to be as good as Justin Bieber or Sean, a Canadian. I'm just using him as an example. Yeah. If you don't sit up beside them, it's going to be real tough then because that is what the audience is wanting. And so if you're any less than that, it's going to be tough. You can be three quarters less that to get to that point, but you're going to have to have what they have is you know, really good sense of who they are, you know, their sound and, and, and the song itself and what it says, you know, yeah. what's the meaning behind what they're saying musically. It's not easy, man. I always tell people, look at, you're better off taking 50 bucks to go to Vegas than to be successful in the music business. It's not easy. It's yeah, it's kind of true. I mean, if you put it in those <clears throat> easy to look at scenarios where you can say, yeah. well, you can roll the dice here or roll the dice there it's the same thing. It makes you think about it a lot. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. You know, if you're a card reader, I would go to Vegas because you're likelihood to win, but they'll catch you, but you'll probably win a million dollars before you catch you (laughs) here. It's, you know, that doesn't happen. You, you know, you have a bit of luck here in in the record business yet. And it's usually people help to help you move yourself along in that business too. It's a business. Yeah. Any other business, there's people within our business take what your talent is and help you move it along. And so you, you're not only you're trying to find an audience for your music, but you also try to find somebody who's in the business that's going to help you move your move you through the business because ultimately that's what it's all about. At one point in time, there's going to be somebody who's going to take care of your career and move you through the business because it's guys. It just you, that's just the way it is. It's you, you never do it by yourself. Too much too, it takes too long to understand all the moving pieces, if that makes any sense, but just make sure the quality is really good. And, you know, don't put everything out that you do thinking it's great. Be, be really conscious of putting stuff that you think is great and leave the other stuff by itself for a while. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's funny because even dealing with uh, Steve Warner the last yeah. few weeks, I know he was texting me back and forth last night and he was like, he was sending me some stuff and, and he, everything he would send or say was always in a, I wouldn't say a negative factor, but always like, I don't know if it's going to be good. I hope it's good enough for you. And, and yeah. he was so humble about everything he did. Yeah. Everything was important. Like he wants to make yeah. sure it's good. Yeah. And he yeah. wasn't cocky about anything he had done. 
when he deserves the right to be cocky because he's fantastic. So yeah, yeah. he just yeah. looks at but, it at a light where it's like, you know, can I do yeah, but it better? Know, it, but and that comes there from and I've you know I've spent you know like you have most of my career with artists, they're very insecure because most time they've been to, told no. Yeah. It's not good enough or it's, they're always trying to better themselves. You know, it's like, I always think about, you know, I worked a lot with Tom Cochran for a long time. He's a very good friend of mine. I won't say he's insecure, but you know, early on he really was, you know, told a lot. Wasn't that great. So he always was looking for, he's always looking, but he's smart to look for people who may be in the business side of thing. What do you think about this? You know, is this good enough? Because I'm creating, but I'm not the guy who's moving it along in the business sense of it. And that yeah. would be my job. So I used to always have, our, I have a lot of artists who say, hey, Derek, what do you think? Is this good? Because I'm listening to it from a totally different vantage point as you are with Steve. Yeah. You're, seeing it, you're listening to it from a totally different vantage point. They're creating it, but they can't know. Creators don't obviously know how to move things along and what the business maybe does. They, they play in it, but I was I got to be good at choosing singles because I work radio every day. I would talk to guys at radio and I listened to radio all the time. So I knew if it fit, if it worked, this station would play or that station because I would lived in it. They don't live in that kind of stuff. Yeah. They're creating. So to your point, you know they're in they're insecure only because they're creating. You have to help them bring it to life because you're dealing the other side of things that they're not necessarily, you know, playing around in. You know, you know, they're planting the seed, but you're watering it. And, and all that kind of stuff to make yeah. sure it gets to be a carrot. Yeah. And once you, you know, does that make any does oh, that yeah. analogy make yeah. sense to you? Perfect. Yeah. You know, and so I always find that, you know, a lot, a lot of artists are, uh, I'm going to say insecure, just that's what they're supposed to do. You guys create and then I move it along and hopefully you can tell me whether it's good or bad or how do I make it. And I've, I've done that all, you know, I've, Hey, no, you got to cut this cord, you know, cut this in half, this bridge in half, and we got to do this. And that's one well, bringing this up because I have a different sense of that. Because I'm not the creator. I'm just the I'm the, I'm the guy who listens to it from a different point of view. Yeah. And if you can get both of those things together, it's awesome. You know. So let's uh, wrap yeah. up on uh, one last question. You've had a amazing career so far. You've done a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything that you feel you've missed out on, or wish you would have done differently in your career? I haven't had an artist that sold 10 million uh, records yet, mm -hmm. so I've missed out on that. Well, maybe I have, but I, they weren't mine. They were just, I was part of the team that did that kind of stuff. Um, no, no, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, you know, I look at my career and think, you know what? People look at me and go, geez, you're pretty lucky. You, you know, hey, I'm doing it right now working for Gary and Slate Music is a, is a once in a lifetime job. There's no, and people tell you, if you ask anybody in the business, you bring my name up and my job, they're going to go like, Jesus Christ, that guy's got a good job, yeah. you know? Um, and I do, and I don't take it for granted. I, it took me 25 or 30 years to maybe find that job to put myself in that position. Um, you know, but I still like everybody else. I still want to have success. You know, I still want to find an artist that's going to break through and have success. Cause that's what, that's really at the end of the day, that's what people, um, gauge you on, even though you've developed all these things at one point in time, you know, those gold records on the wall may mean something or, you know, streaming i used to call gold records because streaming does equal sales and you still yep. get those things but overall no i look at myself and go you know yeah i'd like to have all that that's why you always keep on doing it to try to find the next artist you get involved with but overall overall i've done okay, okay. you know what i mean I've, yeah you know 
I got a couple years left in me and then I'm going to probably have to retire and go with my wife and live in England and do all those kind of things and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But right now I'm going to be here as long as I need to be here. Cause it's kind of like, I'm like, a, I always tell people I'm, I'm in a, I, train collecting is a hobby and I get to hang around with a lot of bunch of people who like to collect trains. I don't collect trains, just collect music. So I'm in a, I'm doing what I've been doing my whole life as a hobby. It's pretty, pretty lucky. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's I'm not great. cutting meat. That wasn't really a hobby. That was a job. What I'm doing now is, is a hobby that has become a job and I've been doing it for 40 years. So it's pretty good and still learning. Yeah. It's a different v- world today and you're learning a lot. You know, you're always learning now because it's changing so fast. Fuck. Yeah, and if you, if you say you're not learning anymore, there's something wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. Everyone no. that's that's successful still stupid, learning. I try not to act stupid, but I'm stupid. I get I get I get shown I'm stupid a lot because it's just changing so much, right? Yeah. You just can't be on top of it. No. Particularly with the digital space and the social networks and all that kind of stuff that artists need to be involved with. It's. I never thought I had to show what kind of pajamas I was wearing when I was an artist, and now you got it. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, you are wearing some. <laughs> you know, well, waist up there, and that's all I can. That's right. That's right. So, uh, if people want to follow you on the socials or anything, what's the best way to? Uh, uh, I don't really, I don't really do it, but I'm on Facebook. It's something. Yeah. Just Google my name, but I don't really post much, do much of that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, for no other reason. I just don't. I mean, I just, you know, I, I like stuff and wish people happy birthday, but sometimes, you know, uh, as you see, I like to say a lot. I better safe saying nothing. I'm in a, I'm in a safer space yeah. by doing that. <laughs> Keep my opinions to myself. Good idea. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, it's Here. been a great conversation. Pleasure, Brian. And uh, we'll hopefully uh, run into yeah. each other uh, again Stay in the near future. Thank you. Okay, brother. Thanks. Cheers, man. Thanks, Darren. Thanks.